I'm not a car guy. I've never been a car guy. Cars just don't really do anything for me. They're just a, a means to get somewhere. So I drive a 2010 Honda Civic. It's really ugly to look at. It's got chipped paint everywhere. It's faded. I, it, there's a number of cosmetic issues with my car, but it's a reliable car. It gets me 40 miles to the gallon. And again, I've never really cared that much about cars. So I'm more than content to drive that car until it dies. <clears throat> Normally it's fine. Normally. On Monday during the snowpocalypse, I decided as I was heading into the office, I would take it a little slow, which was a good idea. So it took me about double the time that it normally takes me to get into the office, but I made it in. And then throughout the day, would look out the windows of my office and I would just see the blizzard just continue to drop snow on us. And eventually the person came who plows our parking lot and they came and they started plowing the parking lot. And then I moved my car so they could plow where I was parked and then they continued to plow and two hours later they were still plowing and then they left and there was still snow on the parking lot after they left. It was just that kind of day. Well, as the day was ending, I decided, all right, it's time for me to go home. I got out to my car. I got in my car and I started my car and there came a, a tire pressure sensor light on and I figured that's oh, just it's just a change because it's so cold. Somebody told me when the temperatures change, sometimes there's something that affects the, the tire pressure in your tires. I don't really know, but I'm just going to go with it. So I just figured it's just due to the temperatures. That's no big deal. I'll just check it when I get home. Normally, I have a little portable pump in my trunk that can inflate a tire, but I took it out of my car when I was doing something in my trunk, and I put it on the shelf in the garage at home. I figured that's all right, I'll just fill it up once I get home. So I put the car in reverse, backed out of the parking spot, and as I was driving out of the driveway here at the church, the car started to shake a little bit. I said, huh, that feels like I got a flat tire. So I put it in park, and I got out of the car, and I looked, and one side of the car was definitely lower than the other side. So I decided I would come in. Kira was still here working in the office, and I decided I would come in and ask if maybe Kira had a, a portable pump, just put a little more air in the tire. I'm sure it'll be fine. I could get home, and that's all I would need to do. So I put the car in reverse and pulled back up to the church, and I see Kira stand up from her desk and look at me all puzzled, and I came in, and I said, hey, uh, do you have a, a portable, portable pump? She's like, no, I, I don't have one. Why? And I said, oh, one of my tires is just a little bit low. I'm sure it's no big deal. And she's like, let me come look at it. And I'm like, well, you don't need to do that. It's, it's nasty. She's like, no, I'll come look at it. So she uh, came out with me and looked at the tire. She touched it. She said, that is completely flat. There is no air in that tire whatsoever. And I said, okay, well, I'll just, I'm sure I just hit something. I'll drive to the gas station and I'll just fill it up with some air. And she said, you're not going to make it to the gas station. There is no air in that tire. And I'm like, I can get to the gas station. I'll be fine. And she said, well, at least let me follow you. And I'm like, I don't need you to follow me. She's like, no, really, there is no air in your tire. And so I just decided, all right, I would listen. So I was looking around. We, I couldn't find a pump. So I decided I'd give a friend of mine who lives in town a call. And I, I gave him a call, and I said, hey, are you home? He's like, yeah, I just got home. Not, the, not what you want to hear. Because after you just got out of the elements that, that were Monday, the last thing you want to do is come back out and help a friend out. So I'm like, okay, this is the point in the phone call where all of a sudden the crystal clear reception starts to go and all of a sudden the phone breaks up and you can't hear anybody. But I'm like, well, here's the situation. He's like, oh, I'll be right up. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks so much. 
So he gets to the church and he asks, hey, do you have a shovel? And I go get a shovel and then he takes it from me and he starts shoveling off the area. Before I know it, I turn around. He's down on the ground. He's taking the, the flat tire off the car. And I'm like, can I help? He's like, no, you, you just stand back there. That's the best way you can help. You just, you just stay out of, the, out of the way. So I open up the car and I get the spare tire and he puts the spare tire on the car. He says, well, got a little bit of bad news for you. And I said, what's that? He said, this tire's low too. He said, but bring it by the house and I've got, a, I've got an air compressor. We'll get the air in the, in the spare tire. We'll pump up the old tire, see if we can find the place where, where it went flat. If so, I can, I can plug it. I've got some extra plug kits there. We'll get you, we'll get you all set up. I'm like, thank you so much. So I had to run back into the church for something, grabbed it, told Kira bye, and started the journey to his house. Around the old Piggly Wiggly, for those of you joining us via the stream, that's a quarter mile down the road. My dashboard just starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. And all of a sudden, a brake sensor comes on, and then another thing that I don't really recognize. And a couple letters like TPMS, which I'm sure means nothing about tire pressures or anything like that, all came on. And I'm like, well, I'm going slow anyways, uh, because I had to because of the elements. There's nothing more that I can do. I'll just take it nice and slow. So I followed the path to his house, and then all of a sudden I got to a road that wasn't plowed. And as I'm driving along, the Civic gets stuck. And I'm just like, well, it's a 2010 Civic. So I just gunned it. And then I started to get a little bit of traction, started to go a little bit, got stuck again, just gunned it again. Finally made it to his house, pulled into his driveway, got stuck in the driveway because the driveway is on a little bit of an incline, and I couldn't make it up the driveway. And so we turned the car off, and he looks, and he said, well, that's not good, and that's never what you want to hear in a situation like this. And I'm like, what? And he said, that tire's so flat, it came off the rim. And I'm like, oh, is that a bad thing? He's like, yeah, that's, that's not good. He's like, but I, I've got an air hose in the garage, and Hopefully it'll reach. So we pulled the air hose out, and it was short of where the car was stuck in the driveway. He said, don't worry. I've got an extension out in the shed in the backyard. And I'm like, do you want me to go get that? There's like a foot of snow back there. Do you want me to go out and get that? He's like, no, I got it. And so he went out, and he got that. He comes back. He's just drenched, just completely drenched from the knee down, just soaking wet. He hooks, up the, he hooks up the air hose. He hooks up the, the extension. He starts to, starts to jack up the car with the little jack that comes in the, the back of the Civic. He had a bigger jack in his car. So he's like, go grab that jack. And as I'm bringing it over, he says, you might want to hurry. And right as soon as he says hurry, I just hear as the car falls off the jack. And then he has, everybody was fine. He jacks the car back up. We get it up. He gets the air hose connected. We start pumping up the spare tire. He put a, he put a rope around the spare tire so that we could get a little air and it would we'd catch the rim. It, it does that. And as we're inflating the tire, all of a sudden we blow a breaker. And so the air hose just dies. And then he has to go into his basement and flip the breaker. And he does that. And we finally get the, we finally get the spare fully inflated. We we blow up the old tire, find out it's just gashed at the sidewall. So there's no fixing that. 
and, and finally everything is fixed and I have to drive home and I'm, I'm driving home, keeping it under 30 miles an hour the whole way and I get home and I'm just tired. It's been an ordeal. It's been a day. And as I pull into the driveway, car gets stuck in the driveway and I just sat there and I just smiled and the thought that came to me was it felt so good today not to be alone. It felt so good today not to be alone, to have people there and available in my time of need. And some, sometimes in life, we feel like we can do it on our own. Sometimes in life, we feel like we don't need other people. We don't want to invite them in. We want to keep them at arm's length. And I don't care if you are the biggest introvert that God has ever created. Every single one of us needs other people. And today we're going to talk about the importance of community. We're going to talk about the importance of having people there in our lives as we continue a look at the cost of our salvation. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app this morning. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once it's installed on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 30 here in just a minute. And if you're joining us via the stream this morning, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside. The verses will be available on the screen below as we look at the final, really the final hours of Jesus' life. Up to this point in the cost of our salvation, we've looked at different theological aspects of, of what it cost for Jesus to come and to be the sacrifice for our sin. And now we're going to look at the events that, that really go around the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Savior. And we start today in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 30, where we see Jesus we pick up here where Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples have just left the upper room. Jesus and the 12 disciples had what's typically called the Last Supper. It was at that time that it was revealed that Judas would betray Jesus, and he left. So Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples are together, and that's where we pick up in Matthew's account, Matthew 26, verse 30, where we read these words. When they had sung a hymn, they went out, to the Mount of Olives. Now, again, the Last Supper has just concluded. There is Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples, and they are going now to start the journey where Jesus would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be found guilty, and he would be crucified. And Jesus is with the 11 remaining disciples. They've just finished the Last Supper, and now they sing together a hymn, and they go up to Mount Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus said to them, the 11 remaining disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So there Jesus is with the 11 remaining disciples, and he has this message for them. You will all abandon me tonight. All of you are going to abandon me tonight. 
And Peter, verse 32, tells us, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter says, not me, Jesus, not me. These other 10 guys, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We know they're going to fall away. They don't have what it takes to stick by your side when things get rough through the thick and the thin. But not me, Jesus. I'm going to be right by you. No matter what comes our way, I am going to be by your side. I will be with you through thick and through thin. I'm going to be by you, Jesus. Not me. I won't abandon you. These other 10, they're going to abandon you, but not me. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus says, Peter, you too. You too will abandon me. And not only will you abandon me as the other ten will, but you will deny me. And it won't happen once. It won't happen twice. It will happen three times. Three times, Peter, you will deny me. And Peter said to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter said, not me, Jesus. Not me. Even if it costs me my life, I will not deny you. I won't do it. And it's easy for us sometimes to beat up Peter. It's easier for us to look at Peter and, and to, to see all that Peter said, to, to look at all the different ways that he failed. And it's easy for us to kind of make him a punchline or to beat him up a little bit. It's easy for us to look at Peter and say, well, you should have just not said anything when Jesus said, you're going to abandon me. Like, spoiler alert, it never goes well when you argue with Jesus. It just doesn't end well. So Peter, maybe just shut up and don't say it. But no, there's Peter. And he says, not me. It's not going to be true of me. And then we all know how the story ends. We all know how this story ends. How hours later, hours later, Peter would have numerous opportunities to claim that he knew and followed Jesus. And he would lie, and he would deny him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And it's easy for us to look at Peter and to say, what are you doing? But did you notice that he wasn't the only one? And all the other disciples said the same. Every single one of the 11 remaining disciples would abandon Jesus. Every single one. And every single one said, I don't care if it costs me everything, Jesus. I'm not going to abandon you. See, sometimes it's easy for us to, to look at Peter, to find the people like Peter who are high profile, who make big claims. And, and it's easy for us to look at the ways that those people fall short. And it's easy for us to see their flaws. It's also easy for us to look inwardly sometimes. And maybe you're struggling with not so much looking at somebody else and judging them for the mistakes that they've made along the way, but maybe your problem is it's inwardly. 
you, you look inward and you're inward focused and you think of all the times that you've had opportunities to sell somebody about the hope of Jesus that you haven't taken. Or you've had opportunities to honor God with your conduct, to honor God with the choices that you make. And you've chosen instead not to honor God with your conduct and the choices that you've made. And so right now, you just look at yourself and you're like, these are the ways that I fall short. These are the struggles that I have. These are the things that I'm not doing. And what I want to encourage you to do, whether it's because you're looking at somebody else and you're judging them based on the mistakes that they've made, or whether it's because you're looking inwardly and you're thinking, I can't measure up. I can't be a good follower of Jesus. These are all the ways that I fall short. Wherever you are on that spectrum, and maybe you're both places, because we can be that way sometimes. Or we can really beat ourselves up, but then we can easily shift our focus to somebody else. But regardless of where you are in that spectrum, maybe it's both places. I don't want you to miss what Jesus does. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus knows that all 11 of these disciples are going to abandon, are going to scatter, are going to flee. And what does he say? Hey, guys, come with me to the Gethsemane. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, guys? A couple hours from now, you're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me. You're going to scatter. So just save it. Just stay where you are. No. He invites these broken and flawed people to continue to have relationship with him, to continue to go with him, to continue to be present with him, even though he knows what's to come. And you might be beating yourself up because of all the ways that you feel like you've failed God, all the ways you feel like you could have been a better follower of God. And you might be tempted just to throw in the towel. And I just want to tell you, the same Savior who knew the 11 were going to abandon him and still invited them to follow him into Gethsemane is still knocking on the door of your heart. And he knows your flaws. He knows your failures. He knows your faults. He knows every way you've ever messed up and every way you're ever going to mess up. And he still calls you to himself. He still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. And maybe it's time you just stop beating yourself up. And instead, you embrace the grace of our amazing Savior. Jesus says, come with me. And they do. And then he says, stay here. I'm going to go pray. And my question is, when do you pray? Do you pray when you're overwhelmed? Do you pray when it seems like there's nowhere else to turn? Do you pray when there are really big obstacles in your way? And if you say, yeah, I pray, then I want to say, great, that's awesome. I feel bad about that. That's great. You should pray then. 
And what I want to encourage you to do is make that your first response when you're overwhelmed. Make it your first response when you feel like the world's closing in on you. Make it your first response when it seems like the weight of all this is is on you. You don't know where else to go. Make this your first response. I feel bad about that. But I, I want to encourage you as well that when things are great, pray then too. So that you pray in every circumstance, in all situations. And Jesus here, what does he do? When he he knows what is to come, he immediately, he immediately goes to a position of prayer. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So of the 12 disciples, there were initially 12 disciples. Judas is now, it's been revealed that he would betray Jesus. So he is left. So the 11 remain. But of the initial 12 disciples, there were three who were closer friends with Jesus than anyone else. And that was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were the closest friend group with Jesus. These were Jesus' best friends. James and John happened to be brothers. They were brothers of they were sons of Zebedee. So, so they are brothers, and that's what Matthew means here when he says Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He's talking about Peter, James, and John. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the closest friends, they go together even to another point, and Jesus reveals even more to them than he did the other eight remaining disciples. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. And watch with me. Now, this should cause us to scratch our heads for a minute. Because we know, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, that before the foundations of the world were even created, that God had our plan of redemption in place. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that. So when we know that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, full divinity and humanity on display in the God-man Jesus. He has all the attributes of God. So he knew before he came to this world what he was going to do in being our sacrifice for our sin. Why is he at this place? And that answer is because you have in Jesus full divinity, so full perfection, Full righteousness, full holiness, about to be united with all of my sin, with all of my shame, with all of my shortcomings. All of that would be placed upon our Savior when He purchased our salvation. For the For the first time in all of eternity, a righteous, holy, perfect God would feel the effect of sin placed upon him by God the Father in being our substitution, in being our salvation. And going a little further, verse 39 goes on to tell us. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not 
as I will, but as you will. Jesus asked God the Father, God, is there another way? If there's another way, let's do this another way, but not as I will. God, as you will. We can't even fathom the heaviness of this request. We can't even fathom all that's going through Jesus' mind in this moment. And as he's processing all these things, he asks his friends and his followers, stay awake and pray. Pray for me. Pray with me. Then he brings the three closest friends even, even more in. And he says, this is, this is what's going on. Pray for me. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. His closest friends asleep in Jesus' time of need. Peter said, Jesus, I will, I will die. I will die. I will be right next to you no matter what comes. I will die if I must. But it's you and I through thick and thin. Jesus asked him to pray. And Peter falls asleep. Peter said he would die. The reality is he slept. And some of you right now are dealing with that pain of a friend who has bitterly disappointed you. A friend that you thought would be there. A friend that you thought you could count on. A friend that in your time of need, you thought they were the person that you could go to. But as soon as your time of need arrived, it seemed they were nowhere to be found. Again, for the second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Jesus prayed the same thing. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself right now in the midst of a battle, if you find yourself in the midst of asking God for something that it seems so obvious that God should answer in a certain way, and you're crying out for God to just answer this prayer, and it seems like he isn't answering the prayer or he's not answering it in the time frame that you want him to, I just want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. And don't feel like you can't pray that same prayer over and over and over again. You certainly can, but, but it's important to have the qualifier. Not what I will, but God what you will. Not what I will, but your will be done. And Jesus comes back, and again, they're asleep. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus left again, and he prayed again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at.
Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed. He understands what it's like to have friends that you thought you could count on. Who say all the right things. Who vow to follow him even to the point of death. And when he says, hey, this is what I really need from you right now. I need you to pray for me. They respond by being asleep. Jesus can sympathize. And we experience these things. Years ago. I was in talks to, to join a church. And the talks went great, the interviews went well, and everything was just a formality. To the point where we were looking at housing. I wasn't married at the time, but was looking at housing, and, and everything was presented to me as a mere formality. It was about to be official. And then the night before, everything was about to be announced. I was called, and I was told that the church wasn't going to actually go through with it. I wasn't married at the time. I was sick of being in a hotel. I, I just wanted to get home. There were some really close friends that I had that lived in the area, and I was talking with them and had to get off the phone with them when the call came in. And, and just kind of shared with them real quick what had happened. And that I was going to be heading home. A couple of months before this, I had another friend. And we were talking one night, and he said, let's be the people that are there for one another no matter what comes. That in the midst of our worst moments, Let's just make a vow to be those people that we can get in touch with somebody. I said, all right. And so that night I was going to take him up on it. I was sick of listening to the radio. This was before you had cell phones with internet coverage everywhere and the CDs I had in the car I, I'd listened to. I wasn't in the mood to listen to any of those driving on the road somewhere outside of Columbus, Ohio, where there were about three radio stations, and two of them were radio preachers, and the other one was country music, and I wasn't in the mood for any of that. And I picked up my cell phone, and I called my friend. And I started telling him what was going on. And he seemed distracted. I said, is, is now not a good time? And he said, no, I'm, I'm getting ready to start a movie. And I, I don't mean like he was at the theater, having just paid 10 bucks for the movie ticket, and you got the theater, like, popcorn butter seeping through the bottom of the tub. I mean, he was at his house with a DVD player. And I just said, all right. And I hung up the phone. And five minutes later, my phone rang. And it was the two friends who were in the area of the job that I was about to accept that wasn't offered to me. 
And that night, they had dinner reservations. And they canceled them. To call me. And to talk to me. And check in on me and make sure I wasn't alone. And it was there on the interstate, somewhere outside of Columbus, Ohio, in the middle of nothing but farm country, that I decided that I want to be the person that is willing to cancel dinner reservations to comfort a friend. I also decided I want to make sure not only that I am that person, but that I have those people. We can't be that for everyone, but we can all be that for someone. And we can't expect that from everyone. But we should all hopefully be able to depend on it from someone. And that is my hope and my prayer for the type of community that we have at Lakeside. That every single person that calls Lakeside home would know that not everyone from Lakeside can be that for you. that you've got your someone. That when you feel betrayed, you feel abandoned, when you feel overwhelmed, when it seems like this world is too much to carry, you have those people. I can't be that for everyone. you're their someone. And that's the type of community that God has called us to be. God, I pray that we would be people who are willing to be invested in each other's lives. God, I pray for the person right now who feels abandoned and feels betrayed. And I pray, God, that you would comfort their hearts. I pray they would find their someone. And I pray that as a community of people here at Lakeside, we would be that to one another. God, I pray for the person who's discouraged right now. Just keep praying for the same circumstance and the same situation. You're not answering in the way it would seem to make sense. Or in the timeline it would seem to make sense. God, I pray for them that they wouldn't quit. I pray for the person who just keeps looking inwardly and thinking of all the ways that they've failed. And God, I pray that they would remember that you are the same God who knew you would be abandoned and still offered the disciples to join you in Gethsemane. God, I pray that everyone that calls Lakeside home would have that someone. 
that no one would walk through this life alone. Lord, for those who are hurting, I pray they would be reminded that we have a sympathetic Savior who understands abandonment, who understands betrayal, I pray you would encourage their hearts even now in the midst of all they're dealing with. Work through them and in them and God be glorified in us. We ask in your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen.